The conclusion of Psalm 51 has gone on to impact every day of Jewish life. David says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 210. Rembrandt returns, an image of a Psalm of David. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Can one capture a psalm in an image? Can one paint or etch a torrent of words onto a canvas or copper plate? Rembrandt can. And that is why we turn to an image he has made, an image we have already encountered. It is an image involving an episode in the book of Samuel. But it is only now, as we study our current biblical book, that we can truly see how Rembrandt has poured into a space some six inches long all the emotion of David that is contained in one single psalm. As we consider Rembrandt's career, we realize that in contrast to so many artists who gave us depictions of military glory in David's life, Rembrandt never, ever does. Instead, he highlights David in crisis. Thus, we have Rembrandt's David playing the harp for Saul as the king grows ever angry. We have Rembrandt's David and Absalom with disaster unfolding on their household. And we have the etching, the print that we look at again today of David praying in front of his bed. This image is inspired by Psalm 51, which begins, Lamnatech Mizmor le David, for the conductor, a Psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. This is, in other words, a Psalm of repentance uttered by David after the prophet Nathan confronted the king about David's gravest sin. Here are some of David's words in Psalm 51 Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. These are verses from one of the most famous psalms of repentance. But when did David say this? The psalm seems to imply that David uttered these words when Nathan, the prophet, confronted the king. Let us look again at the book of Samuel. Nathan enters David's room and sternly says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with thy sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. 
And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. What is so striking here in this passage is the balance of words between the two parties. Nathan delivers an eloquent, reproachful speech. And in response, David says only two words in Hebrew. Chatati lahashem, I have sinned to the Lord. How then can the psalm tell us that David is giving us what he himself said when Nathan the prophet came to him? The answer lies in safrut, the Jewish approach to inscribing sacred scripture. If one looks at the way this story is traditionally written on parchment in Hebrew, then following Nathan's words in the book of Samuel, right before David utters, Chatati Lashem, I have sinned unto the Lord, there is a gap, blank space. This, said her by Elijah of Vilna, represents the interiority of David. We are, in other words, meant to, as it were, read between the lines and sense his spiritual turmoil at this moment. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik put it this way, quote, After Nathan the prophet reproved David for his sins, we read, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. What sort of confession and repentance have we here? All David said was one word, I have sinned. And for this he deserved pardon and forgiveness? Rabbi Elijah the Goan of Vilna noted that in the Masoretic text of the Bible after the phrase, I have sinned against the Lord, there is a gap, a blank space. David actually wanted to say much more, to make a detailed confession, but he became choked up with tears and could not utter another word. At that moment, David achieved complete self-negation, a sense of sheer worthlessness. He was so profoundly shaken that he could say no more. But Nathan the prophet sensed the drama that was taking place in David's soul. After he managed only with the utmost of difficulty to utter the words, I have sinned, he saw that at that very moment, David was wholly immersed in repentance, how he was undergoing the entire process of repentance, from acknowledgement of sin to self-elevation and prayer. That was how Nathan could say to him, the Lord hath put away thy sin. End quote. Thus, all David's turmoil and repentance originally took place within himself, and it is this interiority that is later reflected in the stunning psalm that we study today. The words of the psalm are verbally said soon after this interior turmoil. And Rembrandt, in giving us this image, clearly assumes that he has a sense of when this psalm was said. As the book of Samuel further describes, the child born by Bathsheba takes ill, and David prays. The Bible tells us, David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. Thus David engages in penitential pleading, and Rembrandt is assuming that it is the words of the Psalms that David says. Understanding that Rembrandt was inspired by Psalm 51 helps us answer a question. All the Bible tells us is that David lay on the floor praying to God for seven days. But Rembrandt, as we see in the image, places David before his bed. As Simon Shama notes, quote, David is atoning at the altar of his transgression. The curtain gathered and folded over the bedpost recapitulates his sin, even as he prays for the life of his child, end quote. This is true, but I would add that Rembrandt is drawing this from the words that David poured out before God after his sin, words that we read in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. This is the bed that is the reminder of David's sin. And as I argued in Mosaic, the bed is a reminder of more than that. Rembrandt is giving us here what looks like a bed from his own age in the Netherlands. 
And in Rembrandt's time, the bed was the center of both life and death. Rembrandt would have had stillborn children from his beloved wife Saskia, as well as a son that survived. Rembrandt understood that the bed was where children were born, where children were delivered, but also where human beings in those days ultimately passed away. The bread for Rembrandt represents the fragility of life, the mortality inherent in life, and also the potential of future rebirth. And indeed, Rembrandt knows that though the son for whom David prays will not survive, this bed will soon be the site of the conception of another son, as the book of Samuel concludes. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. The conclusion of Psalm 51 has gone on to impact every day of Jewish life. David says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. The seeming contradiction in the verses is striking. David first says, Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. But then he concludes, Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. For David, are animal offerings called for, desired by the divine, or not? The answer, of course, is yes, they are, as long as they are external expressions of what is within. As David said in the psalm, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Only then does the offering truly become what it is called in Leviticus, a korban, a ritual whereby the offerer becomes karov, close to God. Today, we lack animal offerings, for now, and the prayers that Jews say daily are ordained by the rabbis to parallel the precise times when the original temple rituals took place. It is therefore fitting that we open the Amidah, every one of the three standard silent prayers of the day, with David's words from the psalm. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. David's interior relationship with God, his offering of a broken spirit, is one looked to by all Jews as they begin to pray. For it is David's interiority from which we constantly learn. We therefore close today with the point that we made when we studied Samuel. Most think of Michelangelo's enormous statue of David when they imagine this famous biblical monarch. But it was actually Saul who was celebrated for his height, whereas the man whose family was chosen forever by God was selected as the divine informed Samuel, not based on how he looked, but on his character, not for his height, but rather his heart. Rembrandt understands, as most Jews do, that if you truly want to know who David was, you find it in the image that he gives us, pouring out his heart. The virile, powerful David in this depiction is no more but the spiritual David remains. And it is when Jews begin prayers with words of Psalm 51 that it can truly be said that King David still lives. David Melech Yisrael Chai This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off. <laughs>